0: 2020 is a year for the record books. It's now officially the busiest hurricane season ever. In Climate Watch, two new reports this week summarize 2020's hurricane season as extremely active.
1: So getting back into the hurricane names really quickly, we only have one left. Incredible to have had 20 named storms.
2: 2020 outdoing itself once again with this year's hurricane season, breaking numerous records, including something we've only seen once before, reaching the end of the name list.
1: Welcome to The Surge. I'm Maria Alejandra Cardona, a photojournalist based in South Florida. And I'm Pam Giganti, a
0: journalist and former television news anchor. Both Maria and I have lived in South Florida for many years. We've dodged hurricanes, prepared for them, and covered them. In this episode, we'll take a look at the impact climate change is having on storms, from their development to intensification to their forecast track. We'll look back at the 2020 season and talk to scientists
1: about what that might mean for future hurricanes. We'll also look at resiliency, particularly in Miami Beach, and what's being done to protect our communities from those strong winds and incredible storm surges, and how research done at the University of Miami at the Rosenstiel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science could make a huge difference in protecting our shoreline. Most recently, I went to the Bahamas after the devastation of Hurricane Dorian, which literally stood still over Grand Bahama in 2019. When I think about what I saw, Pam, it was chilling. I was on assignment taking photos for the Huffington Post, and as we drove through the island, there was nothing left.
0: One of the worst hurricanes I personally experienced living in South Florida was Hurricane Katrina, Before it moved into the Gulf of Mexico and later hit New Orleans as a Cat 5, it hit Florida's East Coast near Broward as a Category 1 and then jogged south and hit Miami-Dade. The rain was relentless and water started seeping into my bedroom. It was terrifying. I knew just who to start with in order to get some answers my good friend and former colleague, NBC6 meteorologist Ryan Phillips. For nearly 15 years, I was the morning anchor at WTVJ, the NBC station here in South Florida. Ryan was our morning meteorologist and guided us through many storms, including Wilma in 2005, which hit while we were literally live on the air. He and I sat down for a frank conversation about lessons learned and the future of hurricane strikes here in South Florida. So Ryan, this is great I to love have it. you here.
3: What's weird is, well, there's two things that are weird. There are no cameras, right? which we were used to. And, and before I met you, I was going to put a suit on. I said, there's no <laughs> need for a suit. This is a podcast.
0: Exactly. We get
3: to be <laughs> casual. Yeah, so feeling very relaxed.
0: I wanted to talk to you about Please. Wilma, because I remember distinctly... Knowing Wilma was approaching and it was coming from the West and I drove to work as I always do in the middle of the night. It was dark and it was eerily quiet. Yes, At about 3.30 in the morning on I-75, I remember driving into work thinking today's going to be a day, but right now it was just so calm. And then... It hit the fan when we were yes. literally on the air. That's the first time I've ever worked a storm that it was hitting us while we were broadcasting. Talk about that, because I even remember lights shaking above us while we were on the air. We thought we may have to evacuate the studio. studio yeah,
3: and we did have a backup plan for that, a, a, another part of the building that was would be a safe uh, place to uh, pull back to. But uh, that morning, I agree, it was eerily calm, but we knew what was coming, but we're folks digesting that okay there's not much going on right now maybe this is going to be a miss and it went downhill quickly and Pam out on the horizon across the Everglades you could see the sky getting darker and I remember when we first had the uh, when we first recorded a hurricane gust out at the Miccosukee, we put those shutters and then right from then on it started and then that I do recall being in the studio with you and we look up and you could see these long hanging lights starting to sway like a pendulum. Mm-hmm. We thought, oh my heavens.
1: Pam, that must have been terrifying. When I think of Wilma, I remember being a 10 year old girl, obsessed with movies of Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> and my bay window was shattered. My stepfather grabbed me and we ran out of the room. There was glass everywhere. He had to tape it up with cardboard. And I still remember hearing the wind howling through that cardboard. 2020
0: was a doozy. Not only were we dealing with a global pandemic, but Mother Nature served up one of the worst hurricane seasons on record.
3: The season started, it got our attention uh, in mid-May, and it just went on and on and on. And you have multiple close calls for South Florida. You have multiple U.S. landfalling systems, especially in Louisiana, and then you also have these crushing, devastating systems in Central America, where they don't have the infrastructure to uh, be storm hardened and ready for these types of storms that were anomalous anyway in their intensity and their duration. So it was just one thing after another. I mean, the just the hits kept coming.
4: So talk to us
0: about what the ingredients were last season that created this incredible, incredibly busy hurricane season. Well, we season.
3: had we had a few things in play. Of course, we had very warm. Uh, waters across the Atlantic Basin. I mean, and that's just ingredient one. We had very light wind shear. Wind shears are a good thing. If you have a lot of it, it'll just chop the tops off of these developing systems, and they don't stand a chance. But with no wind shear, these systems can blossom right up through the atmosphere. And so that in tandem with the warm waters, you know, light wind flow, and then you also have uh, the absence of of a lot of the Saharan air. You remember those dusty, hazy days that we get in the middle of summer? They're hot, but at least they're mainly dry. In past seasons, we've been able to rely on that Saharan air to to shut things down. But uh, the gates were wide open this year.
1: That's where the concern is, Pam. Not only were there more storms, they were stronger and more destructive. If you remember Harvey, nobody expected such widespread flooding in the Houston area. It caused more than $125 billion in damages. I remember all those pictures on the news of people having to be rescued by
0: rafts because of the flooding. And then, remember, Irma came. We were all worried that what we saw in Houston might happen right here. At one point, the forecast literally had the storm going up the entire peninsula of Florida.
1: We had nowhere to go. The impact of climate change on our community and how to mitigate the risk is something you've covered as a journalist for the past few years now. Cities like Miami Beach are already working to combat flooding from sea level rise.
0: No time to waste. Climate scientists say we need to act now in order to best prepare for the impacts of climate change. We take a look at the effects sea level rise is already having on housing costs and home development across South Florida.
4: First and foremost, the dune system is incredibly important to protecting the city of Miami Beach. We saw during Hurricane Irma that our streets were really quite protected from the sand, from the flooding because of the dune system. Um, It was put in place back in the 80s, and it has continually grown. In some areas, it has tripled in um, height as well as width, and that is uh, very important. Uh, The vegetation there is actually an ecosystem and and helps really uh, grab that sand and helps buffer the impact of the
1: storm surge. Amy Knowles is a City of Miami Beach Resilience Officer. She remembers being a five-year-old girl in upstate New York. She watches floodwaters creep up to the dining room windows and then being saved by firefighters who lifted her out of her home by a front-end loader. Knowles has a vivid memory of seeing her boot fall off of her foot and then she thinks the whole experience was so cool.
4: So that has stuck with me. I, I had a, um, a hurricane here for my wedding, Hurricane Irene in 99. So it, it sort of ruined everything, but then everything turned out fine. And we, we had our reception in a last minute restaurant, but that was a massive, massive event of water that really caused tremendous flooding throughout Miami-Dade County. And that was definitely the most impactful. Amy Knowles was made for this job. I think every city faces risks
0: for sure. All homeowners are well aware of the risks when living in South Florida. I personally have two properties I not only have to protect with windstorm and flood insurance, but most recently upgraded with hurricane impact windows. I think a lot of people wonder if it's wise to invest in property with the threat of stronger
4: storms. So we know that new homes are built much stronger, they've got those hurricane windows, they've got roofs that can handle the the wind, and um, and also important is to make sure they can handle flooding. So we have several new um, land use regulations that we've passed to make sure that homes are being built uh, much higher than required by FEMA um, that are built base flood plus one to five. So that would be more protective in a hurricane as well as over time for sea level rise. We also require that single-family homes that they have uh, more permeable areas, so that the water can, you know, filter down and not cause so much of a, of a flooding issue. Flooding doesn't just happen in South Florida; it's definitely a riverine issue. It's all over the country. There is wildfires, you know, out on the West Coast. So I think it's important to understand. I think it's important to be as prepared as possible. And uh, you know, I do believe if you're investing, if you um, are making sure that you are as resilient as possible, then you're reducing that risk. There's never a risk-free environment, um, but I think that our community will be here for years to come.
0: We know because of sea level rise, storm surge has the potential to be bigger and move farther inland. Dr. Brian Soder is a professor of atmospheric science at Rosensteel, which is home to one of the world's most powerful hurricane simulators. Imagine a fish tank that's the size of a two-story apartment in Brickell. That tank has been vital for research on how to reduce storm surge, what happens to coastal communities that are directly impacted by storms, and more.
2: That helps us understand a couple of things. What are the interactions between the ocean and the waves and the atmosphere that drive the intensification of storms? That's a, a critical area of research.
1: We're in April, Pam. That means technically we have two months to prepare for what 2021 may bring.
2: It's difficult to say one year is really a predictor of the following year because there's so much year-to-year variability. Um, We do know, you know, have basic understanding of the factors that influence that year-to-year variability. So we can try to make forecasts based upon how current conditions look and, and, and say, well, you know, now here in, in April, uh, late spring, you know, temperatures in the Atlantic are anomalously warm so that if that holds to into the season, we'll expect an above average year. Those kind of relationships we understand pretty well.
0: Already, Colorado State University has released its prediction for 2021 and is calling for another above average year with 17 named storms and four major hurricanes a common denominator in all of our conversations is this issue of rapid intensification.
3: And this is just a very difficult realm to fully grasp to be able to command. This system will rapidly intensify and will be a category five because you know the, the majority of storms do will never achieve cat four and cat five status, but we've seen more of them in the last decade or so. And so we are trying to figure out, you know, what are the right ingredients that are necessary for this to happen. And how can we get a better lead on that so we can forecast the behavior of the storm, the track of the storm, and how to prepare people that may be impacted?
4: Uh, We know that uh, we are facing sea level rise. So that's really important, number one. Second, we are planning for it. So really understanding those risks we face, planning for hurricanes, Understanding that the projects we do to help reduce the risk from sea level rise also will help us with hurricanes. I think we can all
0: feel a bit better about where our community stands, living in South Florida and preparing for the season upon us. Amy is one of several resilience officers in municipalities across South Florida, working on strategies to help keep us as safe as possible.
3: We are in Hurricane Alley and, and when we if we look over the span of 150 years, there's a lot of traffic down here. Okay. And so and and we're in it. And that comes with the luxury of living here. You know, the real payoff is when we get to late November and all the way through April. It's so nice to live here.
1: We've learned an incredible amount from all of our guests. If you're interested about getting more information about what South Florida is doing. To prepare for our storms in the face of climate change, connect with Resilient 305. That is Miami's strategy to effectively tackle emerging global challenges and trends. Thank you for joining us on The Surge.